Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Praying with Priests with the Prodigal Father. I'm Father Michael Dank, and I'm very blessed to be here with Father Petalingug. Father Leo is perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm impressed that you can even say it. So, so we're, we're glad to be here with Father Leo, and um, you may or may not know him. You probably know him as the cooking priest. So, Father Leo, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, cooking underscore priest. That is my Twitter and Instagram. Oh, it is? Yeah, okay. so oh, I'm good. a Catholic priest, a uh, member of the community of Consecrated Life, Voluntas Dei, which means the will of God. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it was God's will for me to host a cooking show, movement, gracebeforemeals.com. Bring families back around the dinner table. And I travel around the country, around the world with the TV show, radio, uh, my books, and uh, cooking demonstrations. Because I think the easiest way to touch people's hearts and minds are to go through the stomach. Mm. That's amazing. So you believe it's God's will for you to do that in that way. But are you a Catholic priest? Yeah. Like, uh, last time I checked, <laughs> my my institute is a pontifical right. So Voluntas Dei, our, our ultimate boss is the Pope. Oh, so okay. I have to answer to him. Wow. And, uh, and yeah, I'm a Catholic priest, and I absolutely love being a Catholic priest. Well, you can definitely tell that. Anyone that's ever seen you or known you, uh, you radiate that. So. Dude, that's coffee. So thank you. That's, oh, co- coffee? that's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's radiating. <laughs> I don't know. I think I drink more than you, though. <laughs> you, but I, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. And what I do is uh, just, it's a glimpse into the priesthood's prayer life. So a lot of the prodigal father is is coming to know God the Father's love. Yep. And in, in many ways, we come to know that love through priests. So, uh, and I think priests have a... a just a, we're very blessed, you know, like I'm here in your place right here and you have a chapel uh-huh. you know, in your place. So we're, we're just blessed to have a lot of opportunities to grow close to God in prayer. And so what I like to do is interview different priests and, and just hear about their prayer life from the, the, their childhood. So first question I'd like to ask is what is your first memory of prayer? I, I have it recorded. My mother, uh, she recorded me praying the Our Father. Really? For my grandmother, because we came to America, I'm originally from the Philippines, when I was only one and a half. And so, in order for my grandparents to still be very much a part of our life, they recorded us talking, having conversations. Basically, it was one of the first um, podcasts. Oh, wow. (laughs) And they sent it to a limited audience, which was my family back in the Philippines, and they recorded me praying. And I prayed the Our Father, and I was so stinking adorable. It was ridiculous. I said, Our Father who art in heaven, Halloween's your name. (laughs) And so it was my mom teaching me how to pray, and that was worthy to record and send to my grandparents. Wow, that's beautiful. Because they wanted my grandparents to know that, that their grandchildren were being raised in faith. That is absolutely amazing. So recorded. What did they record on back then? Uh, that would be called a tape <laughs> for recorder. It, for those who don't remember, you have to snap off the plastic so you don't record over it. And you oh, have that's to, right. Yeah. 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 And you have to use a pencil to wind it all. So, yes, taping is amazing, actually. It's a lot more it's technical very, uh, than... easy uh, and effective. Yeah. And by the way, for all of your listeners... I am eating while I am talking. Of course we're eating, always. <laughs> he, he's always got a plate of food in front of me, which is phenomenal. Um, so that was your your first experience of prayer, maybe. But what was your first memory? Do you remember praying? Like, what was it like for you as a kid to Oh, no, pray? That, that was it. You remember that? I remember, oh, so you remember recording being recorded. me praying. Oh, how cool. But I also remember praying the rosary with my family. And on Fridays, on the first, third, and fifth mystery, our arms would be outstretched in the form of a cross. 
I'm three and four years old, Mm -hmm. praying the rosary with my arms outstretched like the cross, and ten Hail Marys is a long time for us to hold it out. And so we were very pious. And I remember very specifically, Father Michael, that um, I tried to get out of it, so I faked falling asleep. And so my mom and dad lovingly put me on their bed, and we prayed around my parents' bedroom, kneeling Uh down, Uh and I did fall asleep. And then I woke up to a dark room, candles making the statues glow in a weird way, and my family praying that rose. I thought I was dead. (laughs) That is honestly some of my first memories of prayer. What kind of feelings did that evoke? Did you like praying with your family? Did, was it boring? Was it What was that like? I felt it as if it was an obligation. Mm-hmm. And that's not bad. Mm-hmm. Simply because, Father Michael, I think people don't realize and they forget that prayer is a conversation with God. And you have to feel a sense of obligation to talk to them the same way you're obligated to talk to your family, obligated to talk to your, fr- obligated to talk to your boss, for mm-hmm. God's sakes. Mm-hmm. And the better the relationship is with your boss, the better the conversation is going to be. And it won't feel like an obligation. It'll feel like a privilege. Mm -hmm. And so as a kid, though, I always saw God as an authority, so I felt obligated to talk to him. But, you know, over the years, I just, I felt it also natural just to be able to talk about anything I wanted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great insight, you know, that to keep that connection open sometimes does feel like an obligation just to check in with your family or whoever. Um or your boss, as you mentioned, you know, or your pastor or whatever, by keeping that communication open, it just makes everything better. But sometimes you got to get over that hump of... So, for example, you know, you came out here because I was a little, I don't want to say insistent or persnickety, but you had texted me and said, are you available on this day? And Mm -hmm. I didn't hear back from you. And I didn't feel obligated in a negative way. I felt obligated in a positive way to reach back out to you. And that's why we're having such a great time is because, in a way, we feel Mm -hmm. obligated to each other. Right, right, right. Wouldn't that be wonderful if the world saw a sense of a connection, a camaraderie with God, that they would joyfully feel obligated to talk to him, not just one hour a week, Mm -hmm. but every day of your life, to include him in your conversations, to make him a part of your day. And I think sometimes people give up on prayer because maybe they don't get, get a response from God right away. You know, so just like you kind of check back in with me, I think we have to do that with God. We have to keep going back to him, you know. Well, I mean, listen, if if God is truly the father, he doesn't have to answer us immediately. <laughs> he, he just kind of does it. Uh-huh. He's like when I call my dad, my dad's like, hey, dad, how you doing? He goes, doing good. Here's your mother. <laughs> <laughs> so give me a little bit of, of a development of how you might have grown in prayer, did you have any personal prayer, or was it just prayer with your family? You mentioned you did talk to God. What was your prayer life like as a child? It was it was caught up really in what I would call devotions, mm-hmm. which is not bad. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, I was interviewing Cardinal Tagle on one of my shows, and he said the reason why the Philippine faith is so strong is because it's very devotional. And in order for a devotion to be devotional, it has to be incarnational. It has to have something tangible. Like the Bible is very tangible, a scapular around your neck, a rosary in your pocket, Mm. uh, statues, those are tangible. Mm -hmm. And so I had a very devotional experience of God. And I remember one particular moment, I got lost on my bike just riding. I mean, I was like eight or nine years old and and I kind of got lost around the neighborhood. I finally figured it out. But in the meantime, 
there was a storm brewing and I was getting kind of scared. And I remember my mom saying, you know, the scapular around my neck, mm. which is very devotional, it can protect you from all forms of evil. And I remember as the storm started to brew and I could hear it, I remember pulling the scapular off and shoving it up to the heavens and saying, Stop in the name of God! Mary said so! And I remember it like lightning a little bit and then it just kind of ended. Uh. Enough for me to find my way home. Mm-hmm. I get home and it just downpours. Mm. So I don't want to call that a miracle, but I do just want to call that a, a tangible expression of God maybe listening to his children. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That was it. <laughs> Beautiful. So, Catholic grade school, public grade school? Oh, yeah. I was a Catholic grade school boy until uh-huh. end of high school. Mm-hmm. I went to St. Rose of Lima, or as they say in Balmer, Lima. Lima. <laughs> then I went to Mount St. Joe College Prep. Okay. Went to a secular state university. And then I entered seminary about two years after college. I went to Catholic University in American D.C., Theological College. And then they kicked me out of the country. I studied in Rome for about six years. I got my degree in, in theology, and then I have a specialization in uh, Mariology. So mm-hmm. I have a degree in the study of Mary and the life of Christ. Great. So backtracking before all that, what, how, did, how did you know God was calling you to this? Hmm. To the priesthood? Mm-hmm. Well, and excuse me for talking, I feel like Cardinal Dolan. Have you ever heard him on the Catholic channel? He's always eating, but worse things, popcorn of all things, right? But to backtrack, how do I know? Well, I'll tell you, it really started when a parish parish hosted a missionary preacher who basically challenged his people. I remember in so many words, he said, if you're going to church and you don't know why, come to at least one night of the mission, and if you don't want to go, then you don't have to. Mm-hmm. So I got on a payphone. I don't know if you remember that, mm-hmm. but I called my mother up and said, I'm going to go to this mission. She goes, are you kidding me? Why would you go to the mission? You don't like church. And I said, well, because the priest said, if I didn't want to go after that, I don't have to go. Oh, wow. <laughs> but he explained the mass. So before that, yeah, what was the mass like for you? Oh, painful. Uh-huh. I remember looking at my parents as, you know, as a teenager and saying, I'm going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And my mom would say, you picked the right place to do it. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, mom and dad were just not messing around with church. Uh-huh. If I was living in their house, I could argue all I wanted, but I will be there. Mm-hmm. And so even that discipline kicked in when I was a young adult. I went to church early that Sunday because I had to work because it was around Christmas time and the blue laws were repealed and I could work on Sundays oh, wow. for the Christmas rush. And that's when that mission preacher said, come to this mission interesting okay so go ahead with that and i was bored to death at church Uh uh-huh i mean there was one priest with a very unfortunate name and may his soul rest in peace now i would just i would be so depressed when i saw him walking down the aisle really just such a horrible experience and this was at the turn of the vatican where they were still experimenting with the liturgy so they were trying to be cool Mm -hmm. and at the same time being painful Mm. but then when i went on this little night of the mission and he kind of explained the mass I was at the edge of my seat fascinated that the fact that the mass wasn't something we made up just to bore you it was actually rooted in the scriptures it was rooted in tradition and that's what this priest did he just kind of educated me Mm -hmm. and I think that the reason why many people don't understand the liturgy is because they just are in lack of a better word and I'm saying this with all charity ignorant Mm -hmm. they just are ignoring Mm -hmm. 
what mass is about. Which is why, after that catechetical experience, I was awe. I was in awe of what the mass is about. Mm. In fact, when he lifted up the Eucharist, I can't explain it any other way, but I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus in the Eucharist. Can't tell you what he looked like. I just know that it just floored me. I was in tears. And it wasn't even like, you know, handsome tears. It was like gross, mm-hmm. not coming out mm-hmm. of my nose, yeah. shaking. I just really had an encounter of the Eucharist. Mm. Talk a little bit more about that. What did you see? Well, you got to know that the Eucharist didn't mean much to me prior mm-hmm. to all that. I remember my parents taking me as a child to the tabernacle after masses and pointing and saying, Jesus lives in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that little box? Mm-hmm. You can't. He must be little. And I think the reason why he becomes small, Father Michael, is so that he can fit in my puny brain, in my very small mind, my shrinking soul. And so the Eucharist has always been a question mark in my mind. But when this priest explained the liturgy and he got to the elevation, something kicked in. I think that was just the moment where Mm. God, in his time, Mm -hmm. turned the light on in my soul simply because I was ready to at least give him a chance. And I think if we give God a chance, really give God a chance. I showed up for a parish mission, for Mm -hmm. God's sakes. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to do it. I was 19 years old. But I did. I gave God a chance. And he he never let anything go in vain. So if I could, uh, you know, the saints talk about experiences like that as being these mystical encounters with God. And I think that's what that was. Did you have any other experience like that in your prayer? No, because I didn't take that much time to pray okay. when I was in college uh, and in high school. I mean, I prayed before I ate mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Philippine and Spanish tradition, we prayed. We at least make the sign of the cross when we're getting ready to start the car. Uh, whenever we pass a church, a little sign of the cross. Pass by a cemetery, sign of the cross. You know, so I had at least that cultural okay. Catholicism in me, which I think is great. Right. As long as it's an educated mm-hmm. culture and not just a mm-hmm. habit. Mm-hmm. I mean, like mafia killing people will make the sign of the cross. <laughs> right. You know, so uh, no offense to any mafia. So that's, yeah, please. So, uh, you know, but that's interesting. The foundation is there, you know, sure. but the experience or that uh, personal encounter didn't happen until you were in college. Yeah, I mean, you have to be old enough. I'm not stupid. I'm not the smartest kid in the world, but I did like to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing I was willing to do. I think people question authority, but I don't really think they're willing to listen to the answer. Mm. And I was actually willing to ask a question and listen to what that answer is. And time and time again, I just find that whenever you have a question about God, the Catholic Church has the right answer Mm -hmm. if you're willing to listen to Mm -hmm. it patiently. Mm -hmm. And to trust that you're never going to understand God or the Catholic Church in one conversation, you got to keep that going. Well, give us a transition then from that initial time of calling until you went into the seminary. Any deepening of the prayer life or oh, was yeah. it not till the seminary that you... Oh, dude, let me tell you, Father Dude, Father Mike, <laughs> and, uh, and we're just kind of talking. So with the idea of that one moment... It brought me to my knees in the confessional, uh, and I just realized that I needed to make a change. In my, I realized that God was real, yeah. and if God is real, then I've got to at least pay attention to God more in my life. 
Uh-huh. And so slowly and slowly, I just started to ask the questions. My brother, who should really be the priest in the family, but he has seven impediments, his wife and six kids. <laughs> yeah. He's always been very faithful. And he just started sharing with me a little bit about this place called Medjugorje. Oh. And he paid for my ticket to go to Medjugorje. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to pass that up. Uh-huh. So I went, and that just floored me more because I didn't see any miracles. And maybe okay. I went out of fascination, but... What I saw was the universal church. Mm-hmm. I saw people devoted in prayer. I saw people willing to go to confession, like normal, cool mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And so that impressed me. So I saw more than just my parish experience. Mm. Uh, I got back, felt very lonely because I just had such a powerful experience. And I saw this commercial on EWTN, which was just starting. And it was a program called the Life Team Program. And I thought, what is this? A bunch of young adults? Mm-hmm. And they offered this advertisement for this gathering. I showed up thinking it was going to be like young adults. Mm-hmm. No, it was a training session for how to become a youth minister. So I was a life teen youth minister. <laughs> <laughs> you showed up again. I just kind of, again, you uh-huh. just have to show up. Yeah. And uh, that helped me tremendously because that program is so Eucharistic centered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fast forward, I started to pray more. I started to go to Mass every day. I went to college locally, uh, and I went to Mass early because it woke me up in time to, to serve as a lifeguard at, at the college pool. Mm-hmm. And it was so embarrassing because I took the hours when the swim team was practicing. So <laughs> <laughs> They weren't going to need your homework. Pretty useless, which meant I could just do my homework. Uh, and every Mass, those old ladies prayed the vocation prayer. And I know they were looking right mm-hmm. at me. That's something. It was something. Yeah, those those yeah. little ladies, they've uh-huh. got some power to their prayer. They do. And, and, and there's that tug at your heart or that feeling. I remember that growing up. When, tug? When people would... <laughs> that what? sounds gentle. Uh-huh. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so then you went into the seminary. Um, did your What did the seminary do for your prayer life? Did it expand there? Were you? What hmm. was it like to be... To be perfectly honest with you, I went to seminary in the 90s. Okay. And so it challenged me. Uh-huh. Because, you know, you're a young buck of yeah. a priest. I was there when they fought about whether we could kneel during the Eucharistic prayer. Mm-hmm. They got angry at me because I led a rosary group. And they're like, that's a private devotion. You can't right. do that in the church publicly. Mm-hmm. So I prayed in my room. And they said, you're not allowed to hold prayer groups in your room. <laughs> like, they, they nicknamed my bedroom the upper room because oh, wow. they would hear us praying. And so, you know, they didn't want us to have adoration mm-hmm. because they just felt that that was an out of the... I mean, look, this was the sign of the times. I hold nothing yeah, yeah, against yeah. these people, but it challenged me. Right. But it did help me to see that there was also prayer outside of my experiences and devotions. Mm-hmm. Um, so they taught me how to at least pray the liturgy of hours. Right, yeah. And, you know, for a lack of a better way to describe this, they helped my prayer to grow with growing pains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just so you, uh, the, our listeners know, Father Leo, oftentimes in the seminary, you're, I think as lay people, uh, we learn a lot of pious devotions, and, and it's, the seminary will often, at least back then, kind of push those down to try to get you to learn more liturgical prayer. And more universal prayer, more, yeah. because mm-hmm. not everyone likes to pray the rosary, and not everyone likes to pray the 
uh, Stations of the Cross, and mm-hmm. everyone likes a chapel. And there's like a lot of devotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they uh, can't teach them all. You can't teach yeah. them all. And in this capacity, I think the seminary wasn't challenging me to expand it. They were challenging me because they perhaps saw some flaws mm-hmm. in that approach of theology. Right. And that is true. Right. You know, we can take Mary to a por- mm-hmm. portion of Mariolatry yeah. as opposed to Mariology. Yeah. And so they were just cautious. But at the same time, it was just the sign of the times. It right, was the right, 90s. Right. And I think, at least I know in Cleveland, the, the seminary is a lot healthier with that, with a good formation. Even when I was there, we didn't pray the rosary. Um, you were allowed to on your own, but there was no communal time together. And, and some of the reasoning behind that was they can't mandate. They can't mandate pious devotions. They can mandate you know, the liturgy and uh, divine office. So I think that's some of the, the reasons for that. But... Um, that's all part of our our prayer, you know, so... Um, oh, yeah. It is part of our prayer, and I, I think it's very important for people to have a balance of universal prayer, mm-hmm. parochial prayer, right. and personal prayer. Yeah, yeah. What What is that? Give us an idea of what that means. Universal prayer is obviously the prayers of the universal church, mm-hmm. you know, making sure we know all of the basics, mm-hmm. the Apostles' Creed, Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be. We understand how to pray... Um, you know, our act of contrition. We know the parts of the Mass. So it's great. You can go anywhere around the world. If the priest holds a host up and says, mm-hmm. Lama Dama Ding Dong, mm-hmm. and you're in line, the answer is, Amen. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. and that's universal. Right. Parochial is like these little traditions that a parish has. St. Anthony devotions. Mm-hmm. You know, they have St. Jude Shrine down the street. They've got a whole list of prayers and a cute little song to sing good night to sweet Jesus, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> That's parochial. And then the personal prayer is how do you really engage God's love in your life when you're not in church? Mm-hmm. Right. But you're in his kingdom still. Yeah, yeah. When were there any significant moments in your prayer life throughout the seminary until you became a priest that. Um, significant moments in my prayer life? Yeah. You know, that just, as like, you look back on when seminary I actually, time. <laughs> well, in seminary time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You just took a picture of the wall, by the no, way. No, no, I know. I, I'm just bad at selfies. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so as far as, yeah, I took a picture because I'm Asian. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> okay, so right there, just a form of joy. Uh-huh. Being, so I'm a little involved in, in devotional prayer, in very liturgical prayer, praying Mass in Latin, Mm -hmm. but I also enjoy the charismatic renewal, Mm -hmm. you know, praying in small groups. And the one thing that was very significant for me was just this level of joy because Mm -hmm. I'd never prayed with other men Mm -hmm. my age who love Jesus Christ just as much as I do, you know, who read the Bible and can talk on a deeper level. And and just, I remember that one time I was praying rosary with a guy from Arkansas and he prayed the Hail, this is how he prayed the Hail Mary. And we all had our eyes closed. He goes, Hail Mary full of grace. I honestly thought he was looking at Mary in a vision. <laughs> yeah. Until I right, looked up right, at him and right. he's just like rocking in his rocking chair, you know, just totally casual. And I remember just laughing out loud in the middle of praying the rosary. Mm. And the other guys who were praying with me laughed too because we were all thinking this guy's in a mystical ecstasy, <laughs> but he's not. Yeah. That's just how he prays. <laughs> and you can have joy. Yeah. Those that was moments of spontaneous moment. laughter. And oh prayer, my gosh! Uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So then describe the transition of your prayer life, then becoming a priest. Oh, I'm so much holier now. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll be very honest, because I'm not going to lie to a brother priest. I wish I could pray like I was a seminarian. Ah, what do you mean by that? I was so, I was like stinking Aloysius Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. I was so good. I was just amazing as a prayer-er. I was waking up at like 4.45 in chapel by 5.30, did my holy hour, mostly on my knees, on concrete. Uh I was kind of always impressed that I had to put patches on my knees, on my pants, (laughs) because I... This is the kind of crazy neo-Pelagian, but still devotional. I did it out of a sincere heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was so good in the regimen mm-hmm. of prayer. And not that I forgot how to pray with my heart, but I was just trying to be, a, you know, fulfill an obligation and to do it with love. Right. And I did a lot of good things in prayer. I get into priesthood, and I don't have the time to pray that I can't wake up that early anymore because I'm just at the end of the day and uh, and I realize that I can't go back to that kind of life yeah because it's a really seminary time is a, almost monastic but an intense you know it's very intense intense structured and a lot of priests struggle with that difficulty and transition then when you become were you a parish priest at first or I was a parish priest so at you, first you're yeah. immersed in the parish and life goes at a, about a million miles an hour. Yeah. But I was also a very active parish priest, mm-hmm. being asked to do talks in different churches in the mm-hmm. area. So very early on, I was being pulled in several different directions. Mm-hmm. And now with the TV show and radio show, I am pulled in even more directions. Mm-hmm. And so I say that I wish I could go back, but that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, and oftentimes I feel I'm not as holy anymore. But I just have to think, you know, Jesus was beautiful when he prayed and how did he do when he carried his cross? He wasn't so good. I mean, he fell several times. Mm. And, but that was still a beautiful experience of God. Mm-hmm. Even though it didn't look pretty, mm-hmm. he was still fulfilling the Father's will. And so what I kind of say now is I might not look pretty when I pray, but I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're a priest how many years now? 18 years. 18. And over the years, how has your prayer changed or progressed or matured or... Yeah, so since I entered this community of consecrated life, from diocesan ministry to consecrated life, they actually have a great form of spirituality, which I take with me every day. Mm. And so if I can just briefly explain, voluntas dei, which means the will of God, has a prayer practice of what is called the three fives. And the three fives are um, the first set of Fives are a prayer discipline. So personal prayer, meditation, scripture, uh, devotion to Mary, and visits to the Blessed Sacrament. Okay. The second set of fives are attitudes, which gets very challenging, mm-hmm. which are um, practicing the presence of God, mm. being a servant, being a peacemaker, no complaining, no criticizing. That's in there. That no is... No complaining and no criticizing are... Yep. Okay. And those are actually things that we make a promise to do every day. And I fail that miserably every mm-hmm. day. Thank God for Jesus' mercy. Yeah. The third set of fives are premeditative moments when you can look at the beginning of the day until the end of the day, almost like a pre-examination of conscience and say, 
they're going to be at least five times when I'm going to let God's love manifest through mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And it's good because it's like playing chess. Mm-hmm. Here I'm going to do this. The devil is going to try to block me here, which is why i got to take this approach mm-hmm. instead. I'm going to be going into traffic. I know I'm going to manifest God's by letting people in front of me. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, not losing my... I'm going to meet with a very difficult person. Mm-hmm. I am going to love that. So that's the third set of five. I like that description of that, that like a pre-examination. You know, St. Ignatius, I have the examine prayer app, and the final step is resolution. You, you look towards the rest of your day or tomorrow, and you make some kind of resolve. So you're making like five resolutions well okay i'm supposed to make five <laughs> <laughs> hey listen you know voluntas day is an amazing community mm-hmm. they just know that you're not, you're still a work in progress mm-hmm. and so for me i i try to do five mm-hmm. you know but there's sometimes when i don't have any appointments so how am i going to do five yeah but i've got things that i've got to do and so these are personal things i'm going to one of the ways that I'm going to manifest God is I'm going to actually go for a run. Yeah, right. You know, one right. of these things, I'm going to call my mother. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Simple gonna, things, yeah. I'm going to eat healthy. Right. Things of those, things of that makes God more tangible. And if we can't touch God, then I mm-hmm. think you've got the wrong God. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Well, tell me about the first five. Can you illustrate personally for you, because I'm sure for every everyone, th- those five look different. What, what do the first five look like for you? So... Personal prayer. Yeah, what's that uh, like? What does it look like mm-hmm. practically for me is since I have a chapel, and it's a chapel with the Blessed Sacrament, with the approval of the local bishop and my institute's director. Which is awesome. It is. Yeah. He's like it's my roommate. chapel he's got, yeah. It's a cute little thing, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just in my chapel in the morning meditating on the Office of Readings, which is the priest's promise to pray, right. set of prayers throughout the day. Um, I do pray the rosary every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of like my devotion to Mary. Okay, so that covers two of them. Two or three of them. Well, exactly, with the Lexio Divina uh-huh. and, and my meditation okay. and my visits to the Blessed Sacrament yep. because I can just literally pop in mm-hmm. to my little chapel and like, hey, Jesus, what's up? You know, and I like that. I still do pray a holy hour of mm-hmm. sorts, but um, I'm on the road a lot. Mm-hmm. And there are times when I can't get to a chapel and if I can, it's closed. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes I'm up at like 4 o'clock in the morning to catch a 5.30 flight. Because I have TSA pre-check. I don't have to be there two hours in advance. <laughs> nice. uh, and even when I'm doing things at a parish, because I do a lot of parish missions, a lot of talks in religious settings, I'm signing my books. So I can't even get into the chapel to pray. And so the Institute knows that on a practical level, they're just days when the only thing you can do is make visits. Mm-hmm. And it's like a relationship. Honey, I can't spend the whole day with you, but I'm going to call you like a couple right. times just to hear your voice, for you to hear mine, and just tell you I love you. And hopefully that's good enough to keep that relationship going until I can spend right. more quality time with you. Yeah. It's checking in. You know, John the Twenty Third did that, actually, visits to the Blessed Sacrament. He would just stop in for a moment throughout his uh, papacy and, and, and make some visits. Yeah. Did we cover all five? Yeah, what do we scripture. Got what, are the five? what are the five? Uh, so the first set of five, set of five. personal prayer, okay. uh, meditation, mm-hmm. which I do throughout the day. Okay. I call it daydreaming sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Third set is uh, scripture, okay. making sure you, it's part of your life. Uh, four is devotion to Mary. Mm-hmm. And then the fifth is visits to the Blessed Sacrament. Those are, and those are wonderful practices, I think, for all of us. 
one would think, do. Yeah, yeah. but they don't think mm-hmm. about it, which is why the Institute mandates these realities. What have been in your life significant moments where you, you have felt the union or the presence of God in prayer? In prayer? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there are at least several times when I've experienced that. One was prior to entering the seminary. It was the uh, unveiling of the cross on Good Friday. Mm. And it kind of, you know, how the priest says, Behold the wood of the cross on yeah. which on earth, save the world, come let us worship. And he stopped right at the pew, and I was on the end of the pew, and they unveiled the hand, and I could see the hand, and maybe it was my imagination, but I just saw it move. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God! (laughs) (laughs) That crucifixion thing is really, it was like watching the Passion of Christ, Mm. but this was way before before, the Passion of Christ, and it just kind of called to mind the reality of that hand Mm -hmm. getting I mean, that hurt. Mm-hmm. I can't only imagine. So it was the first time I experienced or recognized the suffering of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that was one. Mm-hmm. Another was, um, you know, when when I moved to Rome and I lived there for six years and I was away from my family for at least two full years. And I remember it being Thanksgiving and I was a little depressed and it was at Mass, the Thanksgiving Mass with the seminary, that I just said, you know, I'm just going to give up my homesickness to you, Lord. And it was as almost as if he said, why are you homesick? You are at home. Mm. And that was a real beautiful moment. Mm. Another moment, again, when I was in Italy, I called my mom up and I was like, Mom, I had Mass with the Pope. <laughs> and she goes, Great. I had mass with Jesus. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and it was just a reminder that the grandeur of Rome and all of the uh-huh. amazing churches and the Pope. Who was the Pope? It was John Paul II. Uh-huh. Nothing compares when you recognize that it's mass with Jesus. Right. And then there was another time when I got back from Rome and I was having a, you know, when the shiitake hits the faith kind of day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying mass. And at one point, I realized, my gosh, this was my diaconate ordination anniversary. And it was right in the middle of the Eucharistic prayer, and I was mad. I was in a bad mood. Everything went wrong. The ushers were acting like idiots. They, they, they read the wrong reading. The music was just off-key. The altar server was picking his nose. People looked like they were bored, and I was just trying to get through Mass because I was mad. Mm-hmm. And it was at the Eucharistic prayer where God just went, boom, dude, it's your anniversary to your diaconate. Happy anniversary, you big jerk. (laughs) And I literally just started to cry. And I'm not a crier. Uh But I just started to... People like, what is wrong with this guy? And I joked at the end. I said it was allergies. (laughs) But then I told them that, you know, that I was just having a bad day. What was behind the tears? Uh, Gratitude and remorse and just feeling like a wretch. And Mm. yet knowing that God loved me, Mm -hmm. that he spoke to me in the middle of my anger. Mm. Because I was trying to pray. I was just, excuse my French, I was pissed. Mm-hmm. I was just mad praying the Eucharistic prayer. Mm. But I did it, and I was saying, I'm mad. And in the back of my mind, I was telling God that I'm mad. Mm-hmm. And he just cut through my anger and said, happy anniversary. <laughs> and he gave me a little hug. Wow. Yeah, and I think that's the amazing thing that God reaches us wherever we're at any emotion that we're at 
any disposition sometimes even he's able to if you're willing mm -hmm. to have him in yeah and even when i'm in a bad mood mm -hmm. i'm still inviting god in. i'll just tell you this father even when i'm sinning i will invite god into my life even when i'm like driving very quickly and mm -hmm. i shouldn't be mm -hmm. and i'm in a bad mood or I, I'm still trying to invite God into my life. How do you invite him in? I'll just simply say, like, God, I am in a bad mood. Mm -hmm. I still want you here, and you know that I'm a jerk, <laughs> but I'm in a bad mood. I still need your love, but I'm in a bad mood. Mm -hmm. And he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I caught that. <laughs> I can kind of tell. It might have been the steam coming out of your ears right now. <laughs> I like to ask people about their personal experience with God. And I mean that by the, the Trinity, that we believe in a tri-person God. You know, so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I, I'd like to start with God the Father, you know, simply because of, of the prodigal father. And, sure. And this notion of what's he like? What's God the Father like to you? So God the Father has always been that iconic you know, white guy with the white beard and really old. Mm -hmm. um, and God the Father has never always been as clear to me, but he is clear enough now. There is a song, it's called Good, Good Father. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are. <laughs> and, uh, and And that's what he is to me he's a good father and that's why the prodigal father is something i can relate to very deeply mm -hmm. because this is a father who has allowed me to just screw up mm -hmm. and yet welcome me lovingly mm -hmm. that is who god the father is to me you know i'm sure for the prodigal son he was a little distant he didn't feel that closeness mm -hmm. um actually when i said that i experienced jesus that's not true i kind of misspoke i, I experienced god in the Eucharist. Okay. And it was bigger than mm -hmm. than I really have described it. Yeah. So this uncreated light, the one who created all things out of nothing, mm -hmm. that's who God is to me. And it, it kind of leaves me a little wondering, mm -hmm. like, whoa, you're kind of mysterious, dude, mm -hmm. and I don't know you fully. Thank mm -hmm. God for Jesus. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it is through him that I have known how loving the Father is. Mm. Now, tell us about Jesus. What's he like? So for me, Jesus is, I'm going to sound a little like John on the cross here, so please forgive me. He is a brother. He is a best friend. He is a lover. Mm -hmm. He is just um, a, a companion. And when I say companion, it's kumpanis, with bread. Mm. So that's what the word means. And uh he is compassionate. He suffers with me. And so he's just someone who I know I, I can eventually touch. And so he images the kind of love that the Father has by this absolute generosity, this absolute kindness. You know, I kind of look at it like um, my dad had a very difficult childhood. In the Philippines, the father was... This, this, was, this was just a different kind of culture mm -hmm. altogether. My dad experienced, you know, some abuse, emotional, physical, not out of hate, but just that was the culture. 
And yet when my dad talks about his, his dad, he speaks to them with such love and devotion. And it's kind of shocking, actually. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus, in a way, tempers all of that Old Testament angry God mm-hmm. kind of thing and, and says, no, you got it all wrong. Mm-hmm. I was doing this out of love, not out of hate and anger. Mm-hmm. So that's who Jesus is. He helps to explain the Father. Mm. And the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, inspiration. I always think of dunamai, where we get the word dynamic, which basically comes from the word power. That's why we have dynamite. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I see the Holy Spirit as just this dynamism. And that is why I really love the Holy Spirit, because without it, I will not be inspiring in speeditus mm-hmm. and I won't be dunamai dynamic mm. I'll just be boring mm-hmm. and so I'm going to kind of challenge a lot of people if you're boring it's because you don't know the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. yeah yeah well that's one of my favorite <clears throat> sayings of prayer too if if your prayer is boring you're not doing it right that's right you know what I mean because we're experiencing that dynamism mm-hmm. that relationship with the son with the father the Holy Spirit um, the great mystery so um our prayer, our prayer, hopefully, is amazing, you know? And yeah. Mass is amazing. And even if it's not, there's still effects happening in mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. You just have to trust it. Yeah. So there are many times, Father, where I'll just literally sit there and be like, all right, I'm just sitting here. Do, 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 mm-hmm. do, do. And it's almost, I remember, it's a relationship. You know, when you see an old couple just sitting there, nothing much is happening. They're just together. Yeah. But it's all right. Yeah. Who have been some mentors in your prayer life? Who have been some people that have shown you how to pray or taught you how to pray? Well, there's a lot, actually, and I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. One is uh, my spiritual directors over the years, giving me something to think about, mm-hmm. challenging me. The others are, you know, people who I have observed either in my seminary days or priesthood days who just kind of look prayerful. I don't know if you can tell I'm not shy. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but I've always been fascinated with the quieter and the humbler ones. Mm. There was this guy, can I say his name? Sure. Mike Flannery. He just kind of looked like Francis. He was just, he was balding, mm-hmm. number one at a young age. But he just kind of had a way of talking in a very kind of like simple voice. And, and he was a real kind of gentle soul. Mm. And I just kind of wanted to be his friend. And I just found his gentleness mm-hmm. so inspiring. Mm-hmm. But then I'd meet like dynamic people, like these awesome preachers of Fulton Sheen. He would just get out there with all of his theatrical drama. And I'd be like, dude, you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Uh-huh. You know, um, I even look at other, I mean, look, when I see a Mormon and their devotion to walk around in that heat and that little outfit uh-huh. of theirs and just have that joy yeah. that's inspiring when I see a Muslim I saw a Muslim just pull out his prayer rug in the middle of a mall found a corner and prayed and I just thought mm. I'm a jerk uh-huh. <laughs> you know? look at this guy that's pretty impressive yeah. whether he's got the right God or not I'm sure he's got the right God I'm mm-hmm. many Muslims who don't have the right God there are many Christians who don't have right. the right God so what would you encourage someone that wants to learn how to pray or grow in their prayer life what would be your encouragement to them? Oh, don't do it. It'll make you change your life for the better. Oh, my gosh. I would encourage them 
literally to not take themselves so seriously, mm. to stop trying to emulate someone and just become more you in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Authenticity, to quest the author who made you. Mm. And literally to start off by just simply saying to God, who are you in my life? Who am I in your life? And if you just start off with those basics of questions, then a lot of things can happen. But you just also have to be disciplined enough to take some time for that. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a relationship, and you need to have time to develop that relationship. What does that mean practically for somebody? You have to spend at least 2.5 hours <laughs> on your knees on uncooked rice. And that is the beauty. This is really all depends on you and God. Good. Talk to God about how much time I should spend with him. You know, I do, and there are times, honestly, when God says, you are spending time with me. You're not in the chapel, you're watching TV, but you're with me, and I'm with you, and you know that. Mm -hmm. And then there are times when I'll sense God say, all right, you just got to shut up a little bit and just shut up. Really? Is that happening? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. It happens all too often, actually, where I literally sense God saying, all right, just just relax. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a very earthy relationship with God simply because um, he came to this earth. Right. And I just think that if it's not earthy, Mm -hmm. then it can risk just being spiritual. And remember, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you. Well, tell our listeners that they wanted to find out more about you or some of the things that you're doing. What's a good way for them to do that? My telephone number is 555, (laughs) but my website is very easy, gracebeforemeals.com. You can Google the cooking priest. Cooking underscore priest is my Twitter and Instagram handle. Great. We're going to try to get you on uh, live social media, too. (laughs) Just watch me on TV every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern on EWTN. There you go. Thank you, Father Leo. How about would you bless all of our listeners? Yeah. May God keep you, hold you in his love. May the family of Jesus, including all the saints, guide you along the way and bless you all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Peace, brother. And with your spirit.